0: You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Hello and welcome to another edition of Special Reports on Legal Talk Network. This is Stephen Hawkins. I'm a professor at Wayne State Law School and I'm the host for today's show, which is being recorded on location at the ABA Antitrust Law 2017 Spring Meeting in Washington, D.C., uh, I just had the privilege of being the MC and moderator of a panel discussion about a very well-known and important antitrust case, the case known as Goldfarb versus Virginia State Bar, uh, known to everybody in the antitrust community. And I have the pleasure of being joined right now by the Goldfarb in Goldfarb against Virginia State Bar, uh, Lou Goldfarb. Uh, Lou, great to have you with us today, and thanks so much for being on that program.
1: Thank you, Steve.
0: For the people that don't know the case, this is a case which was very important uh, in developing state action doctrine, the question of uh, of when, when participants in decision-making, arguably by the government, can still be challenged under the antitrust laws. And it was the case that addressed the question of whether or not lawyers were subject to the antitrust laws, indeed, whether professionals were subject to the antitrust laws. But all cases have a beginning. So, Lou, take us back. Uh, where did this case come from, you know, Know, tell us what you were doing and, and, and how did it come about? And we're going back to, will you give us the year? I'd rather not. But
1: the, <laughs> year, the year is 1971. Um, I was a lawyer at the Federal Trade Commission. And my wife and I were in the market to buy a new house. We just had twin sons and found a house in Reston, Virginia um, and decided to buy it. And we're given a copy of the closing statement. And on that statement appeared the fee for legal services. And alongside that fee, there was an asterisk, which uh, referred you to the bottom of the page. And what was noted at the bottom of the page was that fees were established by the local bar association. The fee looked to me to be exorbitant, given how much work I know goes into title search. So my wife and I decided to send letters out to lawyers in Northern Virginia asking if anyone would charge less. Uh, We sent 30 letters out. Uh, 19 lawyers wrote back saying, we'd like to charge you less, Mr. Goldfarb, but we're required to adhere to the minimum fee schedule published by the Virginia State Bar and the Fairfax Bar Association. So I was not an antitrust lawyer at that time, but It sounded fishy to me, and I decided to explore it further to uh, do some research and finally decided to file a class action in federal court on behalf of all the residents of Reston, Virginia.
0: Now, just to make sure we got this straight, at the time you were working a day job? I
1: was working a day job at the Federal Trade Commission, the Bureau of Consumer Protection.
0: All righty. And yet you went off and filed a class action in federal court challenging the entire established bar. And being a plaintiff and a lawyer in the same case, is that right? And is that uh, kosher? Well, I didn't know whether it was kosher at the time, but I did it because
1: I couldn't find a lawyer who would file, who would represent me in the case. Um, Once the case got filed, the lawyers for the bar associations came to me and said, Mr. Goldfarb, you can't be both a lawyer and the class rep in a class action. So you're going to have to decide which you want to be doing and said to myself, well, who's going to remember the lawyer, and who's going to remember the name plaintiff. So I decided to be the name plaintiff. And fortunately, I was in a position to go to uh, a newly established organization that Ralph Nader had set up, Public Citizen Litigation Group. And um, he had just hired Alan Morrison uh, from New York to head up that group. And they all agreed to take on the case, which was a great Benefit to me and the people living in, with near me in Reston, Virginia.
0: And Alan was on the program that we just had. I may may reference something he said. Who knows? But let's take the story forward. So now you were the uh, the named plaintiff. Alan was playing lawyer. Uh, and quickly run us through what happened in the litigation.
1: Well, the case was filed. Alan came in, made an appearance, and the case was argued before the district court in Virginia, and uh, we won. The district court decided that. Uh, at least the Fairfax bar was subject to the antitrust laws, decided that the state of Virginia, the Virginia state bar was not because of an exception to the antitrust laws for state action under the Parker V. Brown case. So we went forward and uh, you know, prevailed in the case and we're about to go to trial on damages. The bar appealed to the Fourth Circuit which took the case and heard oral argument and the fourth circuit came down and reversed the district court.
0: Well, was that crushing to you that you'd had a setback here? You were in the court of appeals and was that uh? go ahead. You were the, you were the client. What happened?
1: Well, I didn't feel crushed. I mean, I was not surprised because the fourth circuit, particularly at that time was a very conservative court. The Virginia bar was, you know, most of these lawyers came from the Virginia bar. So it did not surprise me. And they were also somewhat disparaging of the fact that I, as a lawyer, brought this class action against lawyers. I mean, they they noted in their opinion that it appears that Mr. Goldfarb's looking for inexpensive assistance of counsel rather than effective assistance of counsel. There you
0: go. Um, Okay, you're up in the Supreme Court, and uh, there, once again, Alan took the argument, uh, now joined uh, on the same side of the case by the Solicitor General Robert Bork, the Solicitor General arguing for the United States, Uh, especially for students out there. I have to give you one thing that Alan shared with us earlier today. Uh, If you Go to his opening and literally read from the transcript. Mr. Chief Justice, may it please the court. In early 1962, the Committee on Economics of Law Practice of the Virginia State Bar issued its report on minimum fees. The opening sentence of that report neatly summarizes its intent and sets the background against which the activities of the respondents must be judged quote, the lawyers have slowly but surely been committing economic suicide as a profession, close quote. The remedy suggested by the state bar, minimum fee schedules to be adopted by the local bars in the state, patterned on the suggested schedule contained in the state bar's own fee report. He opened with that, and uh, when we talked with him, he said that although he had tried the case and handled the appeal, that particular observation, uh, the 1962 report where everything had come from, had been part of the record that he'd forgotten about. And it was only when he went back and reread the record to get ready for the Supreme Court argument that when he reread the record in a different context, he saw that report and he said, okay. This is what I want to highlight in my brief, and this is what I'm going to open my argument with on the theory that if he could just get the Supreme Court thinking about this as lawyers price-fixing to increase their profits, uh, the rest was going to be pretty easy. And indeed, in the end, uh, you prevailed, and congratulations. Uh, Tell me, what happened afterwards in terms of the class action? Uh, What what was the result on remand then? Well,
1: the case was remanded uh, to the district court for determination of damages, and uh, it never got to that because the Virginia State Bar uh, agreed to settle for $200,000, and the Fairfax Bar agreed to put in $20,000, which most of which went to the residents of Reston and members of the class.
0: And did did members of the class get real money? We're we're, we're talking here about a title exam, so the dollars aren't huge. But was this a class action that got real relief to the people in the class? Given
1: that it happened 40 years ago, I think each class member got $135, which was probably close to half of what they paid for the title search. So they got partial refund.
0: There you go. A class action worked. What'd you do with your uh, check when you got it? I turned it over to Ralph
1: Nader and Alan Morrison. They certainly deserved it. Alan's fee was zero for me, so I had no no problems.
0: Alan says that uh, when he, in fact, as a, as the class lawyer was discussing fees with the judge, uh, the judge said to him that uh, he thought that maybe Alan was entitled to request a larger fee than $50,000, to which Alan replied that if there was ever any case in which a lawyer should not be asking for a higher fee, it was this one. Uh, how about in the market? Uh, what happened to, uh, you know, lawyers' prices for title searches and things? What was the, that part of the outcome of the case?
1: Well, in Alexandria, Virginia, which was one of the hottest real estate markets, and the fees for lawyer services were extremely high, within months, you would see ads, $100, $150 settlement charges so lawyers were clearly competing, and they could still make money and survive in the practice by charging a competitive
0: rate rather than the bar-fixed rate. How about you personally? Did you get a lot of grief from lawyers and from the bar and all that sort of stuff? I did. I did. In
1: fact, I wanted to become a member of the Virginia Bar, and I didn't want to give the bar officials the chance to turn me down. So I took the bar exam and became a member of the bar, but I also got some you know, nasty calls and... Uh, some hate mail, but uh, by and large, I think people believed that the bar fixed fee schedule, it was time for it to go, okay? I mean, no one really tried to defend that. Um,
0: For a little bit of the context- From the oral argument of the lawyer for the defendant uh, who was up there, this is the lawyer for the Fairfax County Bar, just so people can understand what the kind of time that we're talking about, the justices asked him, now is this only, well, I'll read you here, Justice Blackman, Mr. Booker, you have spoken of the learned professions and would you define that for me? Would it include engineers? Would it include registered nurses, uh, chiropractors, osteopaths, and all the others. And Lewis Booker, counsel for the defendant said, Your Honor, I speak only for a bar association. I speak in the context of what I understand the traditional professions to have been at the time of Mr. Justice story spoken in 1832, the professions of medicine, law, and the divinity. I do not speak for other organizations which call themselves professions, Whether they are or not, I do not know. Uh, It was a different time, and this was the case that squarely said that all of the professions are subject, at least in principle, and in general, to the antitrust laws. And it all happened because of a case that you brought. At at our lunch today, I asked a, a law professor whether it would have been better had uh, the Justice Department and the Federal Trade Commission, which had been doing some looking into these matters, uh, had pursued that and been the ones to have brought a case and things. And the answer was that when we're talking about the organized bar, it was very hard to get lawyers to deal with the problem, to step up and address it. And so it really was important to have somebody who could be a plaintiff. You know, there are lots of lawyers in this world in a way, but you need a good plaintiff in an antitrust case, and you were that plaintiff. I take it at this point that you're you're pleased that you went ahead and took the gamble and filed your pro se complaint?
1: I am pleased.
0: I'm pleased
1: not only that we achieved success, but also because the case, which was decided over 40 years ago, still has currency, and it is still affecting efforts by state agencies to restrict access to the professions and the vocations. And that's a good thing.
0: Well, with that, I think we're going to wrap up. Lou Goldfarb, thank you so much for being with us. We really appreciate it. If anybody out there wants additional information, Lou, you can Google him and you'll quickly find him. Uh, should you wish to reach me, I'm Stephen Calkins, and my email is calkins.c.a.l. K-I-N-S at Wayne, W-A-Y-N-E dot E-D-U. And I'd be happy to answer any questions. Good luck to all of you as you pursue the very exciting practice of law, uh, practice made more exciting by uh, my guest today, Lou Goldfarb. Thanks very much. Thank you, Steve.